Are you going to say something? I was sitting with a group of my friends and they were talking about a mutual boss that they had and they were all slandering this boss. Um, you know, but the boss had those narcissistic tendencies, you know, kind of from their description was ego driven, was harsh, was manipulative. And that work environment caused a great deal of stress for so many people. Those two individuals hated going to work. They did not like the environment. And so I would always say when we would get together and we would talk like, are you going to say something? Are you going to communicate something? And they're all like, well, it's just the way it is. That's just how things are. Nothing's going to change. No, there's nothing we could convince or tell this boss that would make things different. And I would ask, how do you know? And they would just say, we know. Fast forward three years. One of my friends was no longer working there. They got fired. Um, but fast forward three years, and that boss was fired. And the boss was packing up and was basically getting ready to leave. And they had an opportunity to talk to my friend. And the boss said, man, you know, let me explain to you what happened and how I got fired. And was basically saying it felt like a lot of people were against them and they felt like no one supported them. And it was just a really challenging situation, a challenging work environment. And some of the accusations leveled at the boss. He felt like it was unfair. So they asked my friend, like, what do you think about all that? And so I was like, so what did you say? And he said, you know, in that moment, I just didn't want to make things worse, so I just kind of let it go. And they left not knowing that, you know, they were kind of tough to work with. And so I remember just talking to them like, why didn't you communicate that? Why didn't you let them know? And it comes from this deep desire for a fake sort of peace. It comes from a fear of man instead of a heart to want to glorify God. The way this person was surprised about how they lost their job, you're like everything you guys were saying, if you would have said it three years ago, maybe it would have transformed their entire trajectory. Maybe. But, you know, sometimes we tell ourselves this narrative all the time. Things won't change. This person is this way. There's nothing I could do to change the circumstance. And yet, I believe that could be God's opportunity for us to practice courage. Courage happens in those moments. You know, courage is, is needed when preparation and opportunity have an awkward dance. And you're just like, I prepared, I was ready, but it didn't go the way it's planned, and I need to just say something. You know, I'm almost certain if they were able to connect with this person again, they probably would have been like, I wish you would have told me sooner. Many of us in here, we could feel that. Some of us, we love people telling us the truth gently, but like, why don't you just tell me I'm this way? Courage. And so we're going to look at the book of Exodus. We're going to look at Exodus. And one of the things about the book of Exodus that I love is this is God's story. He gave this promise to um, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that he was going to redeem this people. But he needed this people to act out on faith. And part of that acting out, part of that manifestation of faith is always courage. And so he made a promise to Abraham hundreds of years prior to where we pick up in this story that your people were going to be enslaved and I was going to set them free. So let's pick up in Exodus chapter one, beginning in verse six. Now, Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died. But the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increased in number and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. Then a new king 
to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we will deal shrewdly with them or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. They built Pithom and Ramses to store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor and brick and mortar and all kinds of work in the field. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. Sad situation. You know, fear is the path to the dark side. Master Yoda. Come on. From my Star Wars people, Yoda always says something really profound. We don't subscribe to his religion. It's kind of... But every so often, truth comes from Yoda. You know, Pharaoh is afraid of this growing population. He's fearful of this population. The most powerful man in the nation is fearful of a growing population. And what has the Israelites done so far in this story? Really nothing. Nothing that we can identify. So far as we can tell, they have not harmed the Egyptians in no particular way. In fact, it just seems like they were around, like they're just hanging out, like they're out there. You see... When it says here that Pharaoh wanted to deal shrewdly with the people, this, this rabbi named Foreman says that it is a callback to Genesis chapter 3, where the serpent was, was crafty. That same kind of phrasing, how you word it in Hebrew, sounds like a rhyming word that will call you back to that story in Genesis chapter 3. And so Pharaoh is deceiving the Egyptians. He's deceiving the Egyptians by convincing them that the Israelites are a problem. Even though thus far there has not been any problem with this people group yet. Pharaoh's terrifying them. You know, our struggle, this is the language that the Apostle Paul uses in Ephesians. Our struggle isn't against flesh and blood. See, Pharaoh implanted within the minds of the people, the Egyptians, that the Israelites were a problem. Our struggle isn't against flesh and blood. It's so easy to think someone is the problem. You see, Paul t- was talking about this unseen conflict, this spiritual battle, this, this hardship that was going on. Later, um, after the Council of Nicaea, around 350 AD, a group of followers of Jesus saw, the, saw um, there's too much collusion between Christianity and the Roman Empire, so they went out into the desert. They would later become, become known as the Desert Fathers and Mothers. They coined the phrase spiritual warfare. Like it is a spiritual warfare to go against the ways and the norms of a society is a spiritual warfare. And what was Pharaoh's weapon? Fear. Fear is a powerful weapon in the hands of someone that isn't God. Fear will manipulate you, twist you and get you to do whatever is necessary. Fear within the hearts of anyone is a stronghold that must be demolished and obviously not by the weapons of any man. So we're not talking about fighting anybody. You know, where do you experience fear in your day-to-day lives? At the workplace? In relationships? 
in your career, fear of anyone or anything that is created is incompatible with this Christian walk. You see, as followers of Jesus, we are called to be alert and on guard with our heart's motivations. You should not do anything as a follower of Jesus out of fear. Oh, that's so difficult in a world that feeds off of our fears. This world is built to be like a horror movie that just scares you about everything. And I'm a victim of it as well. You know, our culture wars, like what books are in the schools, what things are happening, what's going on. These culture wars are built to make you scared. You start to think this sort of person or this part of our country is evil and wicked and we need to do something about it. Built off of fear. You put money into a campaign, into a person, so you can kind of quelch that fear. And it happens on the other end as well. And how do we measure whether or not we're operating off of fear? Think about it at a psychological and spiritual level. What happens to you when you hear information? We had a Category 5 hurricane come in near uh, Miami a couple of years ago. Anyone from South Florida, when it's a Category 1, we all know it's a day off. Everyone else in this country, they are scared. But in South Florida, oh, it's a day off. Cool. Category two, still a day off. Category three, okay, let's batten down the hatches on certain things, but it's still a day off. Category four, you're like, okay. Category five, never seen one in my lifetime. Every time I turned on the news, they were showing diagrams of how it's going to rip your roof off, how it's going to kill you, how it's going to destroy you. Every time, it's just like, whoa. And then the, the governor at the time sent this, um, massive text message to all the residents and he's like, this is um, a national emergency. You need to get out of Florida. You get a text message like that and you think about going to the gym, instantly you reverse course. You're like, no more gym. I'm getting out of here. And I just remember how much the news was feeding us fear. Feeding us fear. Every time the storm got a little worse and, and, and unfortunately it did hit Puerto Rico and it did great damage to Puerto Rico and so they showed you what was going on in Puerto Rico and they're like hey that's going to be you guys next let me tell you there was no bread no water there wasn't even like tortillas you know what I mean like there was nothing you could put meat on top of there was a whole bunch of meat left in the city but there was nothing else all the cans I remember just walking through there and I'm just like Whoever, someone is built to survive for the next six months while the rest of us will die. <laughs> Even if we survive the storm, we're going to die of hunger. And then the gas, it just felt like as soon as that last commercial, I mean the last news update, I was driving, it seemed like those gas, I'm like, okay, well, you know what, let me go get gas. The entire 1.7 million people in Miami-Dade County said I'm getting gas. It seemed like no one was home. So if you were a crook, you could break into anyone's house at the time. But the entire city went to go get gas and there was no more gas. So it's like, I got a half a tank, no food. And then um, Julian's mom is calling us and it's like, you need to get out of there. You're going to kill my baby. <laughs> like, I don't know what to do. You know what? Let's just go. And so Julian and I drove up to um, Tallahassee to go hang out with some friends on our way up there. It was just bad. The traffic leaving South Florida was bad. We were stuck from Miami to Palm Beach is about an hour drive, where I would live in Miami, about an hour drive. We got to Palm Beach one hour. From Palm Beach to Tallahassee, we were in traffic for 21 hours. There was a group of 
there were like, there was one car in particular. We were stuck. It felt like we weren't moving for two, three hours. They just drove into the wilderness. <laughs> there was no path. There was nothing. Jules was like, where are they going? And I'm like, do you want to follow this? <laughs> She's like, no. Fear. Fear was driving everyone. I'm pretty sure they got to the point where they're like, hey, I don't think there's a path out here. And then they had to do the humble reverse back to the road. And no one was letting them in, I bet. Fear. Fear drives us. How did all that happen? A couple of updates from the news. Drove our fears. You see, we need to think about our fears and our struggle and our challenge and how it impacts us psychologically. Like, are you buying more than you need? Do you feel anxious after someone talks to you and you're feeling like, oh, now that you just said that, I can't even sleep well. That, those are psychological signs that fear is driving you. Do you feel trepidation when you know you're about to encounter this situation? Fear is driving you. And then at a spiritual level, you know, do you want to compromise on your convictions? Just to choose the easier way. You see, Israel was in a situation where they were bitter, it says here in verse 14. They were bitter. If that describes some of your intimate relationships, even your workplace, then that means you probably should say something. But you're like, well, what if I get fired? What if the person doesn't change? You don't know until you say something. And that's terrifying. That's terrifying. You're like, Steve, if I get fired, are you going to pay my bills? I can't. Inflation's hitting everybody. It is a luxury to be alive today. Everything's so expensive. But fear, you might be able to change something. Or you might be able to pave the way for someone else to change something if you say something. You see... Fear has no place in God's redemptive world. Work was a part of the original blessing in the garden, and now the Israelites are not only forced to work, they're enslaved, but they're bitter about the work that they're having. You know, again, most of us spend more time at work than we do anywhere else. And if you're coming home every day just feeling like, oh, I hate work, oh, this is going on, oh, this is... There's a part of work that you know, um, thorns and thistles will come. But that's another part of it. You probably were sent there by the Holy Spirit to transform the work environment. But it requires courage. It requires deep conviction. See, courage is needed when preparation and opportunity have an awkward dance. And you are called, perhaps, to be the person who could transform it. But... You have to be aware. And so Pharaoh's tactics, just like Satan's tactics, is just to create an atmosphere of fear. You know, if you come home from a long day, eight hours, ten hours at work, and that's been your condition, what do you want to do? Veg. You want to get away from people. You don't want to do anything. And so you spend a good portion of your life in a situation you dislike. Then you come home and you avoid situations you do like. And then at the end of it, you long and you dream about retiring and you're only 34. <laughs> and you're like, how's this going to work? And those of us who have retired, you're like, I made it to the finish line and the promised land is good. <laughs> but those of, us who have <laughs> those of us who have not made it, you know, you think you're like 30 more years, please let me just hang on. Let me hold on. That isn't the life God has called us to. That isn't the life that God desires. 
And hear, hear me. I'm not, you know, we've in the past trained poorly that there is a secular vocation and then there's a religious vocation. Like my job is more meaningful than you guys because I actually do the work of Jesus. All of it is meaningful to Jesus. Everything you guys do is meaningful to Jesus. You have been brought there to be a blessing and to be able to bring the kingdom of God. And I think too often we go there and we clock in and clock out and we need to be a t- pay close attention to what the Holy Spirit is doing. Yes. Especially where we spend all of our hours. Yeah. Work gets a good portion of you guys as hours and God is calling you to be a good steward with that time. Mm-hmm. Let's keep reading in Exodus chapter 1 beginning in verse 15. So Pharaoh's tactic is fear. He wants you to be scared. Satan's tactic, tactic is the same thing. Be scared. Verse 15. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shifra and Pua. I like those names. But you don't see anyone named that anymore. <laughs> when you are helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see that the baby is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, Why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? The midwives answered Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women. They are vigorous and give birth before the midwives arrive. On a scale of one to ten for believable, who knows, right? <laughs> but when you're, when you're being approached by the king, you're going to say whatever you're going to say. <laughs> so God was kind to the midwives, and the people increased and became even more numerous because the midwives feared God, and he gave them families of their own. I love the description of the midwives, that they're fearful, but they're not fearful of people. They're fearful of God. How do we develop a posture of courage? You see, Pharaoh had infected the moral conscience of all of Egypt at this point. When a people group can enslave another people group, the moral conscience has been infected. Something is completely off kilter. And so he tells these midwives, he cooks up this scheme and is like, hey, here's what you're going to do. Kill the male babies before anyone else knows what's up. He's like, I'm Pharaoh, I'm powerful, I could do this. You guys need to go ahead and do this. This is a covert operation called Kill Israelite Babies, Baby Boys. And who says no to someone like Pharaoh? You just seen what he did to the Israelites. Just enslaved a whole group of people and convinced an entire nation to go against him. Who on earth would say no to someone that powerful, that influential? You know, even the overall pervasiveness of the culture Everyone around you at this point is okay with what we're going to do to the Israelites. So it's like, man, do you really want to be the person standing alone and choosing the fear of God? It's extremely difficult to stand alone. Many of us know this. Didn't the midwives see that this wasn't going to be good for them? I didn't understand that. You see... Through Pharaoh, through the fear of Pharaoh, the, the entire Egyptian nation decided that we'll do whatever, we, whatever Pharaoh wants because we don't want to end up on his bad side. However, if you look at these verses here, 
the women are operating off of something else. They're operating off of a different fear, fear of God versus the fear of Pharaoh. And what is the outcome? Verse 17, they kept the babies alive. Verse 18, when anytime you see in the Hebrew or anywhere, especially in the Old Testament, when they repeat something over and over again, or even synonyms, they want to make a point here. Verse 18, this is um, Pharaoh talking. Why have you kept alive the male babies? Verse 19, before we can arrive, they give birth. Verse 20, the people continue to multiply and become very powerful. Verse 21, he established families for them. At every point, he's saying, man, the fear of God produces life. These midwives, these two women in particular, their fear of God produces life. Which is challenging, again, of all the people. Midwives, like anyone else, have no authority. It's like, I'm not, I'm, I'm going to pick, who has a decent job in here? Let me say, I don't pick on any job that may be. Let's just say you're a CEO of Frito-Lays. That's an important position. But if President Joe Biden approaches you and says, do this or do that, most of the time, even though you're a CEO of Frito-Lays, you're like, I'll do whatever the president says. These midwives are below that scale and they're disobeying Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Pharaoh, who just enslaved an entire people group. You see, the fear of God, it seems, is causing these midwives to consider life more important than comfort. How are we going to be a courageous people? By having fear, but a fear of God. That's challenging. That's really challenging. To fear God. To be able to put God in his spot to where we honor him and we follow him. You see, verses 17 through 21 form a chiastic structure. Basically, this is a, a, a form and a way of writing in such a way to bring the middle center, C, to the forefront. So it's like these two things, A and B, are opposite, and then C is what they're trying to do. So again, back to here. The midwives fear God and kept the babies alive. The king, Pharaoh, disapprove of what they did. How do we know? Because he's like, why did you let them live? You basically disobeyed me. C, the midwives explains that the multiplication process of the Hebrew women defeats our purpose. Essentially, we couldn't stop them. There's nothing we could do. These people are multiplying. God approves. So Pharaoh disapproved, but God approves of what they did. A, the midwives fear God, and he established them families. You know, a lot of times when we're in our situations, whether it's at work, whether it's at school, whether it's about us choosing conviction, the original A and B, well, what if I decide that, okay, I'm only going to do 12 credits in school. I'm not going to do a whole bunch of things. What if I never get that incredible job? So that operates. We operate off of that fear, and we're like, I'm going to do the thing. Even if it prevents me from really honoring God the way I know I can honor God, I'm going to do the thing that produces the most comfort and safety for me. And anyone who opposes me otherwise, I'm going to tell them, you're, you're out to lunch. But what if you chose to honor God? What if you chose that God is more important than 18 credits or 24 credits? I knew only one person who ever took 24 credits, and they were like... I don't even know where they are. Let's just put it like that. I hope they're still alive doing their thing. But that was intense. You like you never see them once you. I don't. Schools don't even allow you to do that. But they allowed this one person because they're trying to get out of the country. Um, 
But we do that. We do that with work. Like, okay, I work this many hours. We do that with living situations. Some of us, we, you know how tough it is to be formed spiritually? But then we distance ourselves. You know, again, no, if you have to do what you have to do, amen. But, you know, some of us are like, I'm going to get this solid job in this incredible house three hours out yonder, and I'm going to figure out how to honor God. That's fear kind of driving that decision because you really want the house, you really want this. Instead of being like, okay, what does God really want and can he provide in this situation? I'm pretty sure those two midwives got together when they came up with that crazy excuse about the women just give birth really fast. They're like, hey, I got an idea. Here's what we're going to tell Pharaoh. The women give birth really fast. Third party who was there like, I don't think that's going to work. I think you guys are going to die. Well, let's just throw it out there. Let's see what God does. But if it's a bad idea, amen. Again, sometimes can we make decisions to honor God? It's challenging. And yet God is calling us to do that. These women were under enormous pressure. Everyone in the culture is on board with what Pharaoh was doing, and yet they resisted Pharaoh anyway. That's courage. But for them, if we were to talk to them, they're like, it isn't courage. We just know who's more powerful than Pharaoh. We're operating off of fear, but just not fear of Pharaoh. You see, when we're operating off of fear of God, it looks like courage. Everyone else is like, wow, that's the most courageous thing in the world. You just like get it. And we're like, no, I, I know God. <laughs> I'm more fearful of this situation. We're going to talk about the fear of God. God isn't this abusive God who just wants to like beat you up when you mess up. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. You see, fear of God showed itself as courage and it produced life. Suffering didn't even register, at least in this narrative, with the midwives. The plot twist is common sense would say these two women, like most of us would choose self-preservation, say maybe someone else is supposed to fight this battle. But instead, these two ordinary women chose to defy Pharaoh, and they are being spoken about today. They are being remembered in Scripture because they were courageous in choosing the fear of God. Resistance. This is like the, the battle cry of the hippies. Yeah, they're still around. They're adults now and they got full-time jobs and they, most of them retired. But the hippies, they were resistant. I and mean, we love that generation for their resistance. Like I said before, Pharaoh had infected the moral conscience of the Egyptians. The expectation was the most powerful person in the room, just like it is today, sets the agenda. Whoever is the most powerful person will set the agenda and we all kind of bow down and try to stay out of their way and make sure life goes all well. We are all swimming in the waters of fear. Our culture is built to scare us. You know, especially those of you who take in a ton of news, who are on social media for X number of hours, who take in entertainment, it is built to scare you. Tiger Staten calls this spiritual formation. Like, you don't think about it sometimes, but you watching Netflix, you being on Facebook, TikTok, Twitter, and Instagram, and you taking it all the news, you are being formed into something spiritually, but it isn't being formed into what Christ is calling you spiritually. And that's very important that we understand that we are being formed. And so what is God trying to do with us? He wants to, he has already filled us with the spirit, but he wants us to keep in step with it. Keep in step with the spirit, not ahead of the spirit, not behind the spirit, but in step with the spirit. And how do we do that? 
with embodied practices. Prayer, fasting, fellowship, Bible study. Like it, the more we spend ourselves being filled up with God, the more we can understand the waters that we're swimming in. You know how difficult it is when people are in a state of panic, you can't tell them anything. It is just hard. Again, we all just witnessed 2020. One news channel said this is what's going on with COVID. Another news channel said this is what's going on with COVID. One said this was wrong. The other said this was right. You couldn't even, even if you found a credible source, it became more important about the messenger of the source than the actual source. Are you one of those people? You know, and it becomes because we're not being spiritually formed. If we're being spiritually formed, then we have trained our minds and our hearts to identify truth when we see it. We're like, okay, I'm going to go with truth even if I'm scared. Because the fear of God is greater. And so how do we form resistance? Some of the things that's really important, that I know we know this on one level, but sometimes it's hard to understand this. Not everything you think is true. Like, you could think a lot of different things. They're not necessarily true. I could walk into a room, Jesse is upset with me. He texts me this morning, I didn't text him back, he is livid, he's just upset, I'm just going to avoid him because he hates me, and you know what, I'm starting to hate him too. Now Jesse and I have this rivalry, and we're just walking around, and then Jesse is like, hey Julian, what's going on with Steve, I think he hates me, and I'm like, Julian, he hates me, instead of, did he say he hates me? Because even, even if those feelings feel completely real, you know, Jesse said hi to everyone but me. <coughs> and we're in the middle of a conflict now. Everything we, it's a, a one-sided conflict. You ever been in a one-sided conflict? <laughs> like, hey, hey, yeah. like, bro, so, someone stepped on my toe earlier today. I just feel so much pain from that. I, did, I, did, I just didn't even notice. I'm sorry. Fear. Fear could drive that. Our faith exists in contested space. Like what we do as followers of Jesus is being contested. It is the world. I hate talking about the world as if it's like this boogeyman, but it is trying to form us. And we have to understand that we're in contested space. It isn't like neutral. Everything you watch is either forming Christ in you or taking Christ away. You have to be really wise about what you take in, what practices you engage yourself in. You have to be extremely wise. I just watched an entire series of of Kobe, Kenobi, Kenobi, Kobe. I was going to call him Kobe, right? <laughs> Kenobi. And it was cool. I loved it. I'm not going to spoil it for those of you who haven't watched it. But you know, at the end of it, all I could think of is, man, this thing just told me that redemptive violence is the answer. At the end of it, the only way you can stop a guy like Vader is if you kill him. That isn't the gospel story. I'm not called to win over my enemy by taking a lightsaber to his throat. I'm called to love them, pray for them, and seek. But that just was a subtle message in Kenobi. Redemptive violence is the answer. Just a subtle message. And I spent, I don't know how many episodes, don't judge me. I barely watch TV, so if you're judging me right now, I had a little downtime and I just watched me some TV. Redemptive. Okay, so let's talk about fear really quickly. The fear of the Lord is a concept in the Old Testament that's prevalent. Now, what the, the idea is, again, God is love. That's First John. But the idea of fear of the Lord is supposed to heighten your, your awareness and the emphasis on God's holiness and his power. 
So in this situation, when it says the midwives feared the Lord, they understood his holiness and his power. How? I don't know, but they did know it. And so Pharaoh has no fear of God, so he could look at life and say, I'm going to wipe it out. These midwives have fear, and thus they choose life. You see, for us, death that Pharaoh dealt out that was really killing people, living in a space of death, spiritually speaking, is where it's the opposite of what God idealized in Genesis 1 and 2 where we live in peace and shalom, where we're connected, where there's deep intimacy, where we share, we don't operate out of scarcity, but abundance. We are seeking to serve. That's, that, you're operating at a different level. Inflation is through the roof, and if you're still practicing generosity, you're operating out of a mindset of abundance. That's mean you're not operating off of fear, but everyone's like, I just was watching CNN before I pulled up here, and just to see if I was going to be scared because I was trying to test out this sermon. They're like, oh, inflation is going to be so crazy. When the winter hits, no one's going to have heat. <laughs> That's what the person said. If you want, I can send you the Google clip. They said, no one's going to have heat. And that initial thought, no one's going to have heat? All right, this is nuts. We're going to all have to find Justin to build us firewood and all the other guys who <laughs> build firewood. It's going to be intense. But that moved back to South Florida. <laughs> but we don't have to worry about the iguanas that kill you if the heat don't kill you. <laughs> Resistance. How do we resist spiritual practices, spiritual formation? We have to pour that in. Guys, when we come in worship, not only do we come to hear a message, we come to affirm that we live into a redemptive story. This is one of the challenges. Again, I'm not against online. I love the fact that we can spread the gospel through different places, and I think that's where the world is going. But this is a reason why we need embodied worship. Because we can believe in this redemptive story that the world tells us is scarcity and we say we live out of abundance. Mm -hmm. But it takes people to be courageous like these midwives. Okay, common areas of fear. The workplace, like I mentioned earlier, that's usually where a lot of us can experience fear. You know, like you really want to get in and get out. You don't want to rustle any feathers. You want to just... The, the easiest path to retirement is what you seek. In the home, you know, maybe your spouse or your children aren't doing well, and you know if you say something, it might cause conflict, and so you want to kind of not rock the boat, not cause any challenges, so you're hoping someone else will say something to your spouse or to your kids or to some situation. You know, your personal life, you're scared that, man, maybe I've been engaged in some sin, and I feel really ashamed and embarrassed, and I know it's getting worse, but I want to kind of get better first before I get open about what's been happening. Same thing can happen financially. You're drowning in debt. You need money. You need help. But you're like, oh, I can't ask for help because people might think I need help. <laughs> and so it's like you, you, you're feeling that. You can feel fear in evangelism. Like, this is my good friend. I love them. They're awesome. But if I talk about Jesus, they might hate me and never show up. So I'm just hoping one day they're going to walk in my house and see that I have a Bible and ask me, hey, are you reading that Bible because you know Jesus? And can you help me know Jesus? Like, that never happens. <laughs> At least it never happens to the person who's consistently trying to avoid it. It usually happens to the person whose whole life is mirrored by evangelism and that random stuff happens. But when you're avoiding evangelism, it seems like it's never easy. The courage is to say something. Or relationships. Like I said, friendships with other Christians that are challenges, that are hard. 
you're scared. You know, you're like, I don't know how to tell them I think they're prideful. Everyone else thinks they're prideful, but I don't know how to tell them that I think they're prideful. I don't know how to tell them that I think they're not kind. I don't know how to communicate these things. What Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 3, there's a lot he says, but we're just going to summarize it. Basically, do good. Don't fear. Don't fear suffering. Just do good. Do good. Part of being courageous is choosing to do good. Part of being courageous is choosing to fear God and then do good with it. I want us to have a communal reflection. I sent this out to our community group leaders earlier today. Hopefully they sent it out to you so you had an opportunity to think about some of these questions before um, we break up into groups of three or fours. And if, it, if it's an odd number, I don't care. Freedom in Christ, man. You want five, five, six, six. You got 10 minutes to do this. But we're going to break up. We're going to turn the chairs and we're going to talk. Maybe there was a we're going to you could pick either one. Hopefully that, that was clear to the community group leaders. A testimony of you choosing a courageous act. Testimonies are powerful, guys. Like the testimonies of these midwives is inspiring me. Like, look at these women. They chose the fear of God or an area where fear is pervasive in your life. This is a little harder for those of us who are master self-reflective. You know this immediately. For those of us who aren't, like, I'm not scared of anything. You're like, we're going to pray for you to get more self-awareness. <laughs> or, you know, an area where as a follower of Jesus, you can provide life in the atmosphere of fear. Like I mentioned earlier, inflation. You know, there's a lot of the people I talk to, they're scared. Can you provide the idea that there is an abundance? This, it'll get better. So we'll break up into groups of three or four and then we'll discuss it for 10 minutes. And then I'll call us back in for a prayer for communion. We'll do that now.